you for singing so beautifully today. As we come to the Lord's table in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I want to direct your attention back to our study, our ongoing study through the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I just want to direct your thinking to a wonderful little phrase here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Where Peter says this, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. You'll remember that we've been called to set ourselves before a faithful creator in the midst of our suffering for his sake in this world. We're called to trust Him. We, we are called as suffering saints to commit ourselves to Him and to keep doing good no matter what. If we suffer persecution because of it, that, that doesn't matter. It's actually through that suffering that, that God is purifying us. That God is, is bringing us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn that God desires a pure church. God desires a pure And a chaste bride, if you will. And so he employs suffering for righteousness sake to do that. To affect the purity of his church. That's the path that was walked by our Lord. And it is the road for us to travel as well. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Yet the Apostle Paul reminds us that even such severe suffering does not, indeed it cannot, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He said in Romans chapter 8, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, it is our suffering that rivets the Christian heart to the love of God. It is our suffering that, that, that more solidly links us to a greater hope, to a, a deeper love in Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. D.A. Carson said this about suffering. He said, The staying power of our faith is neither demonstrated nor developed until it is tested by suffering. There is a certain kind of maturity that can be attained only through the discipline of suffering. Now you know as well as I do that there are several potential responses to to suffering. Sometimes we're we're tempted to, to stoically ignore it. To stoically deny suffering, to just grin and bear it, just deny it and, and thinking that it somehow won't exist if we just turn our, our, our head to it. Sometimes you become bitter and angry and you shake your fist at God. You, you become a self-pitying and angry, bitter person who claims to know a better way. Sometimes you could just blame someone else. And, and when you blame someone else for suffering, you end up hating them. But listen, we as Christians do not become bitter or angry in our suffering. 
We don't neglect it and we don't ignore it as if or deny it as if it doesn't exist. Christians do not arrogantly suppose to know better than God. As Christians, we are not surprised at suffering, but rather we rejoice in it insofar as we are sharing in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? We entrust our souls. That's how we handle it. Christians entrust their souls to a faithful creator and continue living for him even in the midst of suffering. That's the way that Christians deal with suffering. They take it to Jesus. They present themselves to God as a broken and contrite sacrifice. We tell him our hurt and we seek his wisdom so that we might what? So we might count it all joy. And that's what Peter talked to us about last time in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And it's interesting to me what Peter says next. The very next word that he, that he utters is the word so in the ESV, or literally the word therefore, or, or because of that. And I want to ask the question, because of what? Because of what? Because of what I've just told you about suffering, therefore, he says, You elders, I exhort you. Do you see that? Because of what I've just said about suffering, I am exhorting these elders, having just spoken so tenderly and so compassionately with boldness to suffering believers. He addresses now the elders in the local congregations. There are many many local congregations to which this, this letter had gone. And the exhortation that Peter gives to the elders is connected with the reality of suffering saints. Suffering saints who have entrusted themselves to a faithful creator as they continue to do good. These local church elders are to provide the spiritual care and spiritual nourishment needed by those who are suffering so that they can continue to do good even when they suffer. Now, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that next week and just... Fair warning, buckle your seatbelt in for the next several weeks. We'll be in this this text. But today, I only want to draw your attention to one phrase. And it's a beautiful phrase. It's tremendous. It's something that I hope that the Lord tattoos to the back of your eyeballs so that when you go to sleep tonight, that's what you see. I hope he rivets it on your mind so that every thought that you think is somehow influenced by this wonderful phrase. It is the phrase, the glory that is going to be revealed. The glory that is going to be revealed. Peter says that he saw the sufferings of Christ and he did. He saw the sufferings of Christ. He was there. When he was arrested. He was there. When he was tried. Likely there. At a distance. When he was crucified. But he saw something else. He not only knew the sufferings of Christ. But he knew something else. There was suffering. There was suffering even to the degree of the agony that our Lord endured. But there was another truth that Peter Peter focused his heart on. And that is the glory that is going to be revealed. Literally, it is the ready-to-be-revealed glory. Now, he paints a picture for us. And I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a stage before you. You're sitting there. And, and, and you're in this, the audience, the lights have dimmed, there's the stage before you, there's the curtain that is there, and, it, and it's still up. 
But just beyond that curtain is this bright, shining, refulgent, brilliant glory that as soon as that curtain is lifted even a little bit, that glory is going to be revealed. It's ready. It's standing there, ready to be revealed. Glory standing behind a curtain that's about to be raised. That glory that will be revealed. There is suffering. But there's also glory. And suffering and glory are in close proximity throughout the New Testament, especially in Peter's writing. He said in verse 7 of chapter 1, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, but insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He said, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And then he closes out his letter saying, and after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. I want you to understand, you, you might get this wrong. You might think that Peter only ever thought of suffering. And you would be absolutely wrong. He thought of suffering in proximity to glory. The glory which is ready at this very moment to be revealed. And I just want us to think as we come to the Lord's table this morning for a few moments on that glory. Did you know that the Bible is full of talking about the glory that is to be revealed? Let's think about that kind of glory. What does the Bible talk about glory? Well, there is the glory of Christ's appearing in the clouds. The glory of Christ's appearing in the clouds when he will gather his church to himself. I'm going to give you several scripture references. We won't take time to turn there this morning. Maybe just jot them down. But think about what Paul said in Titus chapter 2 verse 13. He says, We are waiting... For the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is the ready to be revealed glory of Jesus Christ when he appears in the clouds to catch away his bride, the church. Let me tell you something, friends. The first sight of our Lord bursting through the clouds will make 100 years of pain, suffering, and agony seem like nothing. Paul says... For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And if perhaps today is your day to meet your maker when you close your eyes in death, that first sight after death when you close your eyes in life and open them in the presence of God in all of his glory will be worth it all, my dear friends. There is a glory that is waiting to be revealed. The curtain is set to open and the glory will be revealed Some of you will see him maybe today or maybe tomorrow. You'll open your eyes in glory. Or perhaps Jesus Christ will come today. The the last trumpet and the sound of the voice of the archangel. And we'll see Jesus exploding through the clouds in resplendent glory. There's the glory that is to be revealed. But there's not only that glory. The Bible also speaks of the coming glory of Christ's earthly kingdom. Matthew chapter 25 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ reigning 
for 1,000 years on his throne of glory, on his glorious throne. This is when the Bible says in Romans 8, 21, at this point, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. During that time, there will be, the earth will be restored to an Eden-like atmosphere and the Lord Jesus Christ will reign in righteousness from Jerusalem. There is the glory of his kingdom ready to be revealed. I, guess, I suppose when you think of the glory that is revealed, you must think thirdly of the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. I do want you to take your Bibles and turn with me. We have some extra time, so look at Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then, John's giving some some consecutive teaching here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no death, no mourning, no weeping, no pain. There will be no curse there. There will be no night there, according to Revelation chapter 22. Satan will have no rule there. This is what we would refer to as the glory of eternity. And John describes here the new Jerusalem, the capital city of heaven, if you will, having been prepared the Bible says in Revelation 21.11, look at this. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. And the only picture that John can use for something so amazing and so, as stupendous as this is the picture of a bride adorned for her husband. And we know the glory of that. We know the beauty of that. We know the purity of that. As the bride has, had her, has prepared herself and others have helped to prepare her so that she could be presented to her husband. And there is a sense of awe and wonder in that moment as the bride walks down the aisle presenting herself in the presence of friends and family, presenting herself to her husband. And instinctively, there's a hush, there's an awe, there's a wonder over the the audience who is gathered together. And John has that same picture as the New Jerusalem, the the heavenly city, 1,500 miles wide and deep and long and, and high. It comes down out of heaven, the very place prepared by Jesus Christ, coming down the new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem, which has been prepared, has the glory of God, will come down from heaven with its, its street of gold and gates of pearl. One entire pearl is one gate. I mean, talk about glory. 
Revelation 21, 22, however, tells us what's not there. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. He tells us there's no temple there. Why? Because there's no need. Why? Because God is there. And when God is there, you need no temple. The fact that there is no sun or moon In the new heavens and new earth is not so much a statement about astronomy, but it is a statement about theology. You see, the Lamb is the light of that city. The glory of God is the outward expression of what God is internally. The glory of God is the outward expression of what God is internally. And so, it is the light of the glory of God Himself, which is the light of that city. In the new heavens and new earth, Things are going to be radically different. No sun, no moon, no stars. Rather, it is only the resplendent glory of the brilliance of God that is the light of that city. We might say glory is the visible manifestation of the presence of God. It will be the eternal blazing glory of God in luminous brightness on immutable and infinite display which will be the light of heaven so that there will be no night there ever. Because there's no diminishing, there's no changing, there's no shadow of the glory of God. And so when we speak of the glory that is to be revealed, there is the anticipation of the visible presence of God among us. And we don't die, we don't melt. God is so magnificent and so splendorous that His glory will be the light. This is what is truly amazing. That man will, will fellowship in the glory of God. The Bible says, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <laughs> but listen. There is not just a glory that we see. All of those things Peter could have in mind when he talks about the glory that is to be revealed. But, but I think he has something else in mind. In fact, I know he has something else in mind. Peter indicates that there is a glory which we will experience in us. He says, back in 1 Peter chapter 5, He says, I exhort the elders among you, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Peter indicates there is a glory which we will experience in us, and he expects to be our partaker of that glory, a sharer. That word partaker is, is the common Greek word. You've heard it before, koinonia. To speak of having something in in fellowship, in common, in communion. 
He expects to be a partaker, a sharer, a partner of glory. He expects to be in communion with glory. And I think that this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said, For I consider that, again, notice, sufferings and glory in proximity. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us or maybe better in us. In what way will we partake of that glory, friends? Let's let the Apostle John tell us. He said this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, and here's the glory, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. That's the glory. The glory that in which we will partake. It's not just that we will be there as spectators, as it were. But we will be enjoying, every true believer will be enjoying, will be participating, communing, communing together with the glory. The glory as of being like Christ. He's not saying that we'll become demigods or little gods. That's not the case at all. But rather, we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the moment, the very moment that we see Him... We will become part of that glory. One man, Jeff Thomas, said this. We will become, imagine this, we will become as loving as the Lord. As free from guilt and shame as Him. Enjoying the same peace that He enjoys, as contented as He is, as gentle and kind and good as Jesus Himself. Think of this glory multiplied millions throughout the history of the world, multiplied countless multitudes of men and women from every walk of life, being transformed fully into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, being thus fully prepared for the glory of the new heavens and the new earth, there will be, I think, a complete and utter absence even of any memory of wickedness or pain or any ability for sorrow whatsoever. And perhaps it would be, maybe it would be, as Andrew Bonar said, that those who will sing the loudest in glory will have felt the sharpest pains of suffering now. There is a glory which is ready to be revealed. It's behind the curtain. The curtain's ready to be lifted. This glory is not simply something that we will see only, but it is a glory that we will experience in the fullness as we are finally fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in a land inhabited by others who are in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly. (laughs) Wow. That not only makes our temporary light afflictions seem as nothing. But on the other hand. All of the joys of this present life. Will also pale in comparison to that great glory. We'll be surrounded by it. We'll be in the midst of it. 
And that glory will be in us, if you will. We will become a partaker of it. I I do not want to mock or treat lightly the reality of your present difficulties or heartache. Or even the joys that you presently experience. But let me say this. There is not one lifetime of suffering that will ever be mourned in the presence of that glory. There's not a lifetime of suffering that will ever be mourned in the presence of that glory. And there's not one joy of this present life that you'll ever miss in glory. You never get there and think, man, if only I had... A banana split from handles, just like I used to have it. It's not even there. You think, that sounded dumb, Joe. Yeah, that's exactly it. It sounds dumb. There's nothing that we're going to miss in glory. And part of what an elder is supposed to do, part of my shepherding responsibility, is to point you, dear friends, to the glory that is ready to be revealed. And that doesn't make you say. Pointing you to the glory that is to be revealed. Makes this life worth living. And living to the fullest extent. Living a life that's bent on glory. That's directed to the glory that is to be revealed. And so when you have that in mind. And then you compare that with a suffering. You say, ah, it's a blip. I'm gonna, of course I'm going to be faithful. Of course I'm not going to forsake the Lord. Of course I'm going to continue to do good. I'm not going to be a bitter, angry, arrogant person. I'm not going to say that I know better than God. Of course not. Why? Because glory. You see, Imagine what this life would be like if, if this church were filled with people who had eyes on glory living this life to the full. And that really is one of the reasons that we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's such, such a meaningful time. We, it's as if we are the, 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 the bread and the, and the cup represents the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and and we internalize. We take unto ourselves. It's, it's, not that, that the, it's not that the body and it's not that the, the bread and the cup becomes the body of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that you eat this in order to be saved or that makes you a Christian. No, because we are Christians, we come around the Lord's table and we remember. We look back on his cross, we remember his suffering. But we don't just remember His suffering. We also look forward to His glory. And that's why we come together. And so it is a sobering time. And yet it's also a time of immense celebration and joy and thanksgiving. And so church, I want to invite you to the table of the Lord. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, truly, you know Christ. Because listen... You don't want to play here because God takes this very seriously. If, if, you, if you partake and you're partaking in hypocrisy, God takes that very seriously. So don't take if, if, you're, if you're going to be coming as a hypocrite. 
Come to the Lord's table this morning as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, trusting in Christ as the eternal salvation for your sins, trusting in Him as the, as, as the very focus of glory one day when you see Christ together. We want our eyes to be focused on Him, our minds to be on Him today. And so what we'll do is we'll take some time, I'll pray, and then we're going to stand and sing just a, a two verses of a hymn, Lead Me to Calvary, as kind of a, a prayer, our joining prayer together, asking God to focus our eyes and our, our hearts and minds on Calvary. And then we'll be seated, we'll take just a few moments to, of quiet reflection, and then we'll um, disperse the elements. First we'll pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do so with great thanksgiving, great praise, great glory in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, great hope that is ours in Christ, and how we pray, O oh Father, that we would be more like you now, that you would continue to transform us into your image now. And thank you for the great hope that we will be fully uh, transformed. Can I say bodily transformed into the image of Christ? And how we look forward to that day. Praying, O oh Lord, that you would get glory for yourself as we gather together this morning. Put our eyes and minds, our thoughts on the cross of Christ and his future coming. We pray this in Christ's name, and together all God's people said, Amen.